loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Sherry Barch. Sherry's the CEO of two Forbes-ranked top executive search firms and a leadership consulting company. She is an expert in the area of leadership and holds BA and MA degrees in communication. Sherry's married with three sons. As a mom, she describes herself as a part-time pancreas for her two youngest sons, who were both diagnosed with type 1 diabetes within the same year. She's relentless about creating open and honest communication with her family about this chronic and life-threatening condition. Sherry's passion for storytelling and making room for serious and heavy conversations was a strong motivation for her to write her children's book, Heaven's Bell. The story focuses on 11-year-old Beth's friends and what happens when their once-in-a-lifetime friendship is threatened by personal tragedy. One of her goals for Heaven's Bell and Journal is to create and inspire a safe place for families to have a conversation about death and dying in a natural and productive way. Welcome, Sherry. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So welcome. Uh, and of course, since when my wife died, I had children. I'm um, I'm all for it. <laughs> you know, I sometimes I feel as if actually it's the it's the parents who need to be given permission because whatever i was willing to talk about typically they were willing to talk about even the two and a half year old is oh. that your is that your experience too it is i think you know whether you're the leader of a a family system or an enterprise system i think your own willingness to discuss some of these difficult conversations or these difficult um, topics, um, you really are in charge. Absolutely. Let's talk a bit about the story because from my view, it actually starts with a lack of talking. Um, you know, the, the one friend doesn't know the other friend is sick for a very long time, as I understand it, and has all these fantasies about what might be going on. That right. seemed a very important part of the story to me that just because you don't talk about it doesn't mean that the young person isn't thinking about it and possibly misinterpreting what's happening. Yes, we, we have a tendency to make up our own stories uh, and, and then we lack that curiosity to go explore and see what is what is actually happening and i think so many people want to avoid painful conversations or making other people sad that we have a tendency just like conflict to avoid those conversations and just go ahead and make up our own stories that help us um, make sense out of what's going on and i think where we can have conversations that might take a little courage I think it'll take courage to read the book as well. Um, I think it's going to help us create some space to be curious, 
we don't have to have all the answers. We just have to create the space to maybe ask some questions, lean in and be curious. You know, there's another thing I'm aware of, which I think is familiar to you because you started telling this story about um, memory and uh, and the way in which you had the, the imagination to conjure um, memory on both ends, both the dead person remembering and the living person remembering and that kind of interplay. Uh, so often on this show, I end up talking about memory because of course, without memory, there is no grief because the person is gone, right? Right. <laughs> There's, uh, and some people maybe would take that bargain. I certainly would not. Uh, no person that I've lost who was significant to me would I trade, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take not remembering them uh, to get out of the grief, to get out of the sad feelings. I wouldn't take that bargain. Um so many people that just want to avoid. I had a reader that that is a young mom who said, I couldn't talk about my mom to my two young daughters because I would get sad. And so I, I wanted to shield my kids from this amazing, you know, me talking about this amazing woman and then being sad. I didn't want them to associate my mom being sad with, you know, my mother. And she said, after reading Heaven's Bell, it gave her a way to talk about her mom and storytell about her mom, that now her children keep asking for more and more memories and more stories. And it's helping her find some joy uh, in her mom's life and, what an and honor what an amazing person she was. And it's, <laughs> I, I, this is always an irony to me, this is not the first time I've thought of it, that, that we're actually not helping our kids if we don't teach them that loss hurts, that it's sad, but that it's also because you love the person, because you have such incredible memories, that that's why you're sad. You know, uh, <laughs> that, you know the people I, I speak with in my practice who are the who are the saddest about early loss are the ones who, you know, the person died there. Let's say your mother died and no one ever talked about her again. Right. That's the very saddest thing. Yes. Um, so I, it's, it's an irony, isn't it? It is. And, and it's, and it's the, the normalcy or not making it normal to be sad is, is, is what I, I, I didn't understand. Um, and I, I still don't. And I think, depending on how you were raised, there is, you know, I didn't go to funerals and I didn't have a lot of experience with death early in my life, but about that 10 year old, you know, the, the book is really geared to eight to 12 year olds, although it's really geared toward everyone. I think it's a story that everybody can come together and talk about and find relevancy in the story. But uh, a lot of people think back to their first experiences with death. And like you said, we didn't talk about grandma or we didn't talk about mom or one day somebody was in class and the next day they were gone and we didn't go to the funerals and you just, yep, they're, they're gone um, or they're in heaven. Now let's move on. It's sad, but we're, you know, we just didn't create, I, there wasn't space created for me to talk about feelings or that it's okay to be sad. I felt it was more protected than I was encouraged to 
talk about memories. And of course, there there are some educational environments that are changing on that. I, I think they're calling that whole area social emotional learning mm -hmm. and realizing that if there's a loss, let's say a teacher dies or, yes. you know, something or a, a classmate, you know, circle time, time to talk about it. Right. <laughs> but I sure didn't grow up that way. And I'm guessing you didn't either. That's very recent. Yes. I, in my, in my um, conception, very recent. Yes. Well, and unfortunately, I think with recent events and social media and the, the ability to, you know, the exposure that we all have to some of these, you know, tragedies, it, it is something we're going to, we need to address and we need to be able to proactively create space for these discussions. And I think, just I think yeah, that's important. Uh, you know, I feel that we're under a tremendous blanket of grief that, there's a little more talking than at some times in human history, but still so much less than the magnitude of what has happened. Yes. And, and it's just like creating any other kind of opportunity to speak about a difficult subject, you know, and I, I, I don't want to call it an icebreaker, but it is that circle time to be able to say, you know, let's start being curious. Let's start asking some questions. Let's use our imagination. And that will typically then turn into feelings and maybe some self-reflection and, you know, some conversations that wouldn't have taken place without those prompts. You know, the other thing I, I'm thinking about is let's take, for instance, your sons mm -hmm. um, who are not in any manner or form dying, right? But understanding that their illness is a threat is really important, right? Yes. <laughs> um, you can't protect them. I have a good friend who's, whose daughter has type one diabetes. She just left for college, mm -hmm. but it had to be a family discussion because otherwise a kid is not going to do the thing when they're not with you. Correct. That they need, that they need to do. So to me, the, the conversation is a little inevitable in that situation. And I wonder if that gave you in part the courage to share your story more broadly. I know you've lived with the story your whole life as a comfort to you. Yes. But do you think those two experiences of learning to talk well with, within your family uh, perhaps made it more comfortable or at least doable to put the story out and have broader conversations? Yes, absolutely. And when my youngest son was diagnosed first, he was in first grade, he was seven years old. And because I used curiosity and not, you know, having all the answers, you know, I was, I, I needed to let him know that this was a life-threatening disease and that it was chronic and there's no cure. And, you know, when they're that little, you know, the balance between insulin and illness and, you know, just it, it, it was very difficult. And so I was asking him about what it feels like to have diabetes and he was explaining it and we were talking about it. And, you know, I was just always cognizant to it. 
to also think about it from his perspective and what this must feel like in the middle of a restaurant, taking a needle out or whatever. Then he said to me, but mom, when am I going to die? Because die is in diabetes. Oh, oh, that's such a child's misinterpretation, isn't it? Yes. And so oh. I had to take a step back and realize, had I not provided space and just drilled it and just went about, this is how we do it, you know, and, and measured my competency as a mom and a part-time pancreas, right? As, as you know. Mm, as, as you say in your, in your lead up, right? <laughs> yes. And so, um, you know, and I, and I was, I was, I wasn't able to say, oh, you're not going to die from diabetes, but I was able to say that's, you know, two different things. Let's talk this through. What are you, you know, what are you afraid of? Here's some of the things I'm afraid of. How can we work together as a partnership to make sure that we're taking care of you and taking care of, you know, being able to do things that you love and you want to do. And let's not let this uninvited guest in our family get in our way. Instead, let's manage, let's manage this disease. And then we ended up getting a pump for him, an insulin pump, which then we had to educate the family on and bring everybody together. And that's when my second son actually self-diagnosed at 11, a, almost a, a year later, but still within that same year, my 11 year old said, I, I think I have diabetes. And sure enough, we were in the hospital that evening. So mm. a lot of really serious, heavy conversations, but also knowing that we have to be our own best self advocates. So your friend's daughter, who's going off to college, you know, our goal, whether it's a difficult conversation about grief or a difficult conversation about chronic disease or whatever that might be, is how do we create healthy family units and human beings that can articulate and talk about these, these conversations courageously? And I just think this is just one sliver of it. Um, because I avoided grief conversations. I, I'm a wimp. Um, <laughs> I wanted to flip the card out the window and keep driving. Right. I mean, it was just awful. And I realized that my superpower of storytelling, I could show up and I could tell this story. And all of a sudden people wanted to open up more and they felt safe and they started talking about their memories and their loved ones. Well, I love that. I just don't, you know, I just didn't know how to get to that point. How to, how to get started. Yes, how to get started. And I think that's just crucially important when you know someone is going to die too. Yes. Um, there, there's a, um, a grief theoretician and author Lorraine Hedke who talks about cultivating post-death relationship pre-death. Yes. Um, having conversations about how you want to remember each other, which intersects with, of course, the theme of your book, you know, yes. how, how do we believe that there's some connection of memory between us? And honestly, I don't care whether there's an actual place where, you know, all yes. that's happening or not. We still have those relationships as long as we have memory, don't we? Yes. And I had a reader whose sister was dying, read the book, the family read the book. And there is a scene in the book that she described and said, when I'm gone, just know that when you're moving dad out of his house, 
I'll be watching you guys from the great hall and smiling that I don't have to be the one helping you move them. <laughs> and so he said to this day, it helps create, you know, a memory that is exactly what you just described. It's, it's amazing how people are using the story in their own ways. Yes. And that, and that's true. You know, tools that help conversations begin. That's, your book is, is an example. Uh, all the death workshops I went to with my wife before she died, those were examples. You know, spaces that are that are um, dedicated in, in almost a sacred way, and I don't mean that religiously, mm-hmm. to, to grappling, to um, being able to openly openly talk it's invaluable invaluable that's part of why i do this show of course it's wonderful yes and so at this point how old are your sons they are now 20 and 23 so i have this theory from watching my own kids and other kids who faced difficulty right challenge that you can't get them out of that there's a kind of um palpable wisdom in people who've been raised to have these conversations in whatever way do you see that in them oh i do i think they are um like i said strong self-advocates and they're also curious and you know they will lean into conversations i think they're also very kind and caring in ways that maybe without this struggle they may not have seen the opportunities to help others. Oh, let's come back after the break and talk more about that because I like to seed in adult minds the idea that kids can actually gain from challenge, not just lose from challenge. So let's talk more about it. I don't want to rush through. Listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media, Good Grief and uh, the Good Grief page at Voice America. And to find Sherry Barch, you can go to heavensbell.com. Be back soon. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com Good grief, and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. 
Resiliency is the human capacity to lean into individual and collective strengths with compassion and grit when faced with the challenges of lived experience. Join host Elaine Miller-Karras for Resiliency Within, a program of hope and healing designed to inspire you to integrate wellness into your life, your family, and your community. In challenging times, you'll want to tune in every week. Resiliency Within can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Sherry Barch about her book, Heaven's Bell, and the work she does to encourage families to talk openly about hard subjects. And Sherry, before the before the break, we just touched a little bit on, uh, you know, the post-traumatic growth people would say, yes, the suffering is suffering. And also there's often growth. And this quality that you and I were talking about where the, the child who has faced difficulty and been... Uh, supported in it and has learned how to talk about it and be with it, then often becomes a resource for other people who haven't had that same um, privilege, I guess, when, when hard things come along. I notice that with my kids, they're the ones that get relied on when something is painful often. Um, they, they know how to show up and not get too scared. Yes. Yes, that is, it is, you know, and you don't realize that you're normalizing diabetes, but we never, we never, you know, went into the bathroom to take an injection. Um, We never, you know, hid the fact that, you know, somebody was going low or somebody was going high, somebody needed sugar, somebody needed insulin. I mean, by the time we had two of them, seven and 11, you know, there was always something happening that related to diabetes. And so it just, it just was, you know, we weren't ashamed of it. We just, we didn't, and there was no reason to be, but I do feel like in some other situations that I've been in, um, you know, other people had a hard time talking about it. You know, is it okay to talk about, is he getting, does he want to step outside the classroom to test his blood? Um, You know, does he want to go to the nurse's office to take an injection? And, you know, so it's just, trying to help create the best environment in whatever situation that you're, you're dealing with. And, um, you know, you, you start off as a parent being their advocate. And, um, by the time my oldest, the 11 year old that was diagnosed second, and then it was getting advice from a seven year old brother, by the time he went into college, we went to the disability center to interview, to say, you know, because he was considered disabled and there may be some, um, you know, help that he may need or resources he may, may need to tap into. 
And I stayed out in the, the waiting room and he went in and interviewed. And by the time he was done with the interview, the disability center wanted to hire him. So he spent four years working at the disability center, helping other students become. What an amazing example of what we're talking about. Yes. So in, he, a, in a conversation that was there to serve his needs, it was so clear that he knew a lot that they wanted to hire him. I think that's really a proof in the pudding, isn't it? Yes. And so he's so just working with other individuals that, you know, are vulnerable and needed help. And he was an advocate and thoroughly enjoyed it. It reminds me too, uh, in our household, we uh, like, by the time the kids were, you know, late teens, uh, they could sip wine with us, you know, we were, we were like teaching them how to be healthy uh, participants in adult activities. Uh -huh. uh, th this is a different subject, but what I noticed is when they did go to to college when they left home, they didn't do that thing that so many students do where they just went crazy the first year. Right. They, that didn't happen with them. In fact, they kind of calmed down. Right. <laughs> you know? Um, and, you know, because it wasn't this taboo thing that then they had access to all of a sudden and no training. Right. Um, I'm not saying what other families ought to do, but I did notice that phenomenon, you know, of just kids completely going wild as soon as they had no one to tell them what to do. Right. And by not, ta ta not talking about it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. You know what I mean? Isn't that the truth? <laughs> uh, particularly when we're talking about things like death and grief. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's, the most, uh, it's the most obvious existing thing around, isn't it? You'd think we would that be doesn't get talked about. Right? You think we right. So what kind of experience, I know from listening to other interviews you've done and such, you've gotten a, a gratifying amount of feedback on the impact uh, on other people of, of reading the book. And you've shared a little bit of that, but do, do any of those uh, experiences of other people um, stick with you and, and, continue to be meaningful for you as the person who put the story out there? I am struck by the willingness of people to have conversations that they haven't had in decades by reading this story. And when they read it, they don't talk about the story per se. They just talk about how they feel when they're done reading the story. And so and that's where the journal came in. So I released a journal recently because I felt like I needed to complete the, the opportunity for people to write down their, their stories or draw them or use them as prompts if people are more verbal. Um, and by combining those two things, I believe when I think back and reflect on some of the reader's stories, that this is a place for them to capture their own memories, but you know, you and I will experience something together and our vantage points are different. So a memory that three or four family members experience, there's healing in being able to talk about that memory and share it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just 
I'm just trying to host this safe opportunity by using the story, using the journal to just explore that there might be memories out there and joyful places or clarity that could be created in your journey with grief. A, a number of things come to my mind when you say that. For one thing, um, what I liked especially well about your journal uh, was just tons of questions, uh, particular ways to um, activate memory. Because if you ask somebody off the top, you know, what do you remember about them? Most people go a little blank. Uh -huh. um, so, uh, you know, once they're very comfortable, things might start coming out. But uh, having a starting point, somebody asking you, and the book is a, a somebody asking you, even though it's, it's a book, you know, um, what, uh, what was their favorite place? What team did they love? You know, very specific questions seem to have a great impact. So I appreciated, appreciated that because it's true that the more you remember, you know, I mostly, uh, I am mostly not sad when I remember uh, my first wife. I am mostly grateful, um, uh, thankful, appreciative, all, those kinds of qualities. This is a lot of years later, right? right. 27 maybe or so. Um, but, um, I but I think you can have some of that right away. Mm -hmm. Maybe the, the memory will be more poignant than joyful at the beginning, but mm -hmm. there's joy in poignancy, don't you think? I do. I think that's that, that, that clarity. And I think we get to control and choose when we want to experience certain memories. I had one reader that said she cared, she cared for her husband for seven years. And as his health deteriorated and as he died, um, she, she just, obviously was very upset and she said she read heaven's bell and realized that she can choose the memories that she wants to keep front and center and that she doesn't have to remember the recency of the memories that she has but instead choose those that bring her the essence of who he was and why they fell in love and the the life journey that they had together I thought that was really interesting because in the book, we, the Cody and Ashley, they, Cody goes to heaven or outer space. Ashley stays on earth. And we, the reader flips between those two universes. And what this reader was talking about was just, you know, thinking about him in heaven and, and looking at some of the memories and there's memory rooms and there's monitors. And, and she said, I am filling those with our, our, happier times, not the, the last times. There's something there about the, for want of a better way to put it, the process of grief too. I feel that at some point the, the end is not as prominent. It's the whole relationship. Yes. If you, if you allow it to unfold, uh, you're likely to eventually be in a better balance you know, if you have a moment, if I have a moment where I'm thinking about, 
it's not actually when my wife died, but some of the surgeries she had to undergo, chemotherapy, you know, the painful parts, um, those are not prominent as they were at one time. They're, they're res recessed because that doesn't have anything to do with our relationship. That was just his bad thing that happened, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> Over which neither of us had any control, only influence, right? Yes. So there's something there about that wasn't, those memories aren't really about him and her. Right. And, do you and, agree? Do you agree with that? I mean, oh, they, they are in a way, but they're not in a way. Right. No, I agree. And I love the fact that, you know, we are, she was not a victim in her own grief. And I think the, the story allowed her to see, wait a minute, I have some opportunities here to grieve and find joy. And we can walk along together with this. And mm. I can be sad, but I can also reflect and be grateful. And it's, it's, it, it's just an interesting use of the story that I, I didn't, there are so many stories that I just didn't think about how this, this really simple story might impact or create conversations. Um, and you've got friends passing the book around um, and then talking about it. So it's not even just family units, it's friends and I've got social workers using it in the schools. It's, it, it just works. Uh, I, I'm remembering a, a guest I had whose son died at 21, and he was talking about the fact, and he he now um, speaks to to groups about the thing that his son died of, you know, to because it's something they can do something about, um, mental health condition. Mm -hmm. And he was saying that he runs into people who knew his son. And they'll tell him something that, that they remember yes. that he wasn't there for. And he said it was the most fantastic thing because he's had all the experiences with his son he'll ever have. But if someone else tells him something, it's a new memory. I thought that was very beautiful. Yes. Uh, that he that he still collects new memories because he didn't have every experience with his son that was had. Other people had some. Yes. And that was really the journal. I mean, can we can it be a family journal? I mean, can we all write memories in there? And it might be the same experience that the same memory we're experiencing, but from different vantage points, like I said earlier. Or I just want to share with you a little bit about when I was growing up with your mother and a little bit about her eighth grade year, if you're in eighth grade, you know, so just, just a place to be able to be grateful and, and just celebrate. And, you know, I guess most of us don't, uh, don't get to adulthood without some losses, eventually grandparents, family, friends, all that. Does this work for you with your own losses? This is it now easier for you also to activate your memories and um, make room for, you know, them in your own mind and all of that? Yes, it. it I I lost my um, father earlier this year, and um, he he knew about the book and knew the story and. Um, he was um, 
somebody that I, I think about every day, but I, I am able to just use, again, I've had this story with me since I was a little girl, but it just, you know, I, it, it's just a place that I can think about him and I miss him like crazy, but I'm, I'm also grateful for the memories that I have. And it, it, it helps me just do both. I can grieve and I can also be grateful. Hmm. And, and, you can and you can remember actually talking with him about the book. That's yes. something, huh? Yes. And I, and I'll tell a quick story the journal, um, like I said, is new and I um, dedicated it to him and my father-in-law who died uh, four years ago. And I put it on Amazon and didn't do it right. And all of a sudden Amazon spit it back to me and said it was not a low content, whatever. It dropped on Father's Day. So it became mm. for sale on Father's Day. So I just thought <laughs> that was really ironic. That's so synchronous, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure you've heard from people, um, they'll talk about, people whisper this to me a lot, uh, a certain uh, experience experience they have repeatedly that gives them a sense of presence with the person you know the common one is butterflies or yes. you know um there are many though uh, a clock at a certain time um it seems to fit with the theme of your book to me yes. that, no, that there's there's a way that we do continue to have a sense of connectedness even though that person is not here yes and ashley and, story has a dream and talks about that you know and and the story of heaven's bell is really something that she continued to tell in her life um and cody was is was basically you know came to her in a dream and just said it's you know take your time i'm okay i'm having fun i'll see you when you get here kind of thing when we come back from our second break, um, it's it's still standing out to me that you had this uh, come to your mind as a kid. And I'm really curious, since you say, you know, you didn't have much encouragement for, you know, talking about hard things, for that to come to your mind seems important. Let's talk about that when we come back. Okay. Meanwhile... Listeners, you can go to my website, weatheringgrief.com, the Good Grief host page, to find every link to me. And to find Sherry Barch, go to heavensbell.com. Be back after the break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com com slash good grief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. With Sherry Barch about her book, Heaven's Bell, and the Heaven's Bell Journal as well. And before the break, I was expressing my curiosity about what might what you believe might have triggered this story in you as a child because you've described yourself as you know not not really being encouraged to talk about difficult subjects um you know kind of having a little blank space like most people do where hard subjects live so what do you think might have spurred you to need the story and to make up the story yeah i think i think with best intent a lot of times parents or adults will try to protect children by not exposing them to any kind of ritual um, or even from a spiritual standpoint, sometimes it's confusing in, you know, the, the, the rituals of, you know, of different churches or different faiths, or they'll use confusing words like, you know, we lost grandma or, you know, mm-hmm. she's in a better place. And so mm-hmm. There was just, I think for me, a void of what do I do with this? And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm an author, I'm a, I'm, I'm a create, I'm a, my superpower of storytelling. I think it was probably one of the first stories that I just made up and thought, well, I don't want to, I don't want to stop thinking about this person and I miss them, but I also have thoughts and feelings and memories that I want to continue to explore. And so I just made up a story that every time I think of a loved one and in heaven, that the bell, there is a bell there that has a a unique sound to me and they know I'm thinking about them. And it's a great case to be made for kids can handle it, right? (laughs) There were no resources around you, but you came up with something (laughs) as a child to try to make sense of of a mystery, a big mystery. And the first time I told the story to someone else, I was an adult and she had just, um, her dad had just died tragically, suddenly. And she was in first grade and she was having nightmares. And, you know, at that young of an age, it's, they don't, they don't necessarily understand death. And I'm not trying to 
come up with this fantasy of, you know, let's talk about this fantasy and not talk about death and, and experiencing grief. It is, again, a conversation starter. But I also handed her a bell with a ribbon on it and just said, you know, when you look at this bell, it might remind you of some memories or it might remind you to think about your dad and, and you know, put your memories there. And so she hung it on her bed and the nightmare stopped. And years later, I think she's a senior in high school now, she told me that she's given out several bells and told the story of Heaven's Bell to her friends because it, it brought her some peace. That's partly about continuity too, isn't it? That you gave her a way to continue to think about her father and that's so important. I, I um, you know, as I mentioned, my, my youngest child was two and a half when my wife died and I found her totally able to understand uh, death, but I had to be very descriptive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that there's a way that this idea we have that kids can't understand it or don't understand it is partly because people aren't explaining it in, you know, we got a stethoscope out. I've, I've mentioned this on the show a bunch of times. Uh, Listen to all our heartbeats. Explained when a person dies, the heart doesn't beat anymore. You know, the body is done. Yes. And and she never fantasized that she she remembered her. She talked about her, but she never fantasized she was coming back like many people mm -hmm. describe with young children. That was never, you know, she was there when she died. She was there for the wake. That fantasy didn't exist in her mind at all. Um, yeah. And I and I like to repeat that on the show because that can also give people permission to talk openly with kids. It actually helps them. Yes. Right? It, it helped her, I believe, to know the facts. Right. And to be able to not only know the facts of life and death, but also see mom sad and not go into another yes. room, be upset and then come back and be strong for, you know, your kids or you know, anyone, it, it's just, it's that authenticity and children know young adults. We all know, you know, if, if a loved one knows when you're sad or in pain and as a child, you know, sometimes, especially as you get into the adolescent years, you know, I may not want to come in as a 12 year old and, and talk about grandma because I don't want to make mom sad. And so how do we create an environment for that 12 year old to say, I'm bummed. I'm still thinking about her. I keep having dreams and it's okay to have that conversation. Not unlike the diabetes, you know, it's, it was okay to talk about it. It's not taboo. We need to talk about it. it, it it's not fun. So now what? I, 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 I amen to that. Uh, and I'm, I've also know, uh, you know, therapists have been very busy during COVID as you would, could well imagine. And one of the biggest difficulties people have had is that they once they can't fix a thing, most people come to therapy to feel better, right? Once they have to actually navigate feeling bad and it doesn't stop quickly, many people are kind of at a loss. And, um, um, 
and very lonely. Very lonely and very self-judging. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can see this more broadly as a nod for everything being more real. You you brought up the word authentic. That's what that's what tipped it off. And also, we just have to say your book is not depressing. No, <laughs> you know, thank you for it's, that. Uh, you. you know it's real. And but I would say that the the hardest feelings in the book are the lack of conversation feelings, not the not the uh, not the conversations. Uh, do you agree with that? I do. I, I think it's it's really a book about friendship and love, and it and it is going to be okay. And it's showing you a pathway that you can make your own. And this is just one heaven's bell story. Everyone has multiple heaven's bell stories, and start to explore those. What would yours look like? Um, it's, it's, I cannot tell you, I think there's almost 70 reviews on Amazon that, and the, the, again, the reviews are their own experiences and feelings. So it's, it, it isn't, it isn't a depressing book. It isn't scary, but when you say it's a children's book about death and dying and conversations, people want to run. And, um, <laughs> but I did have somebody say what the story did for me is it gave me the courage to show up for a family. It was a suicide. You know, I don't know what to say with death anyways, let alone the suicide. They were sad. They were upset. And I was able to come in with the book and talk about the story and be there for my friends. So it's helping me have the courage to show up. I thought that was really cool. You know, I've done a lot of training of people on on what to say and not say in response to grief, someone else's grief. People want instruction in that area because it it affects everyone. And being at a loss, everyone knows that's not the way to handle it, right? But it's so um, freezing. It's it's almost like a trauma in itself, not knowing what to say. And so I resonate with what you're saying there that it gave that person a, a path. And it didn't mean that the other person had to completely buy in. It was just sure. a way to start, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's it's light, and it's it's just a it's just a, and it may not even be something that they pick up right away. It might it's not a therapeutic book. It's not. It's just, but it is an offering of support and encouragement and friendship. And I suppose there's a way, you know. Uh, Ashley's family gets better as the book goes along. Yes. Don't they? Uh, They get better at having those conversations. I think that's encouraging. We don't have to know how to do stuff right away. We can be a little bad at something and get better, (laughs) you know, because we actually try to figure out um, how to show up. Yes. And the 11 year olds, you know, at the time where there was, there's a lot of dialogue, it's, you know, there's awkwardness and there's awkwardness around grief. I don't care at what age and that's okay. And things don't always work out. There's a a remote goodbye in there because of COVID and so many people were dying alone 
And I wanted to reflect that in the story that sometimes what you think is ideal or what you think is right, air quotes, there, there, there isn't any of that in, in most of life, let alone in death. Okay I, that's awkward. so important these these days because I'm I'm not afraid of death. I was afraid of dying of COVID at the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, yeah. You know, but then if you face up to it, when I realized that's what was going on, then I could say, oh, okay, well, uh, you know, it'll be all right. I mean, <laughs> it's not my preference, but it's you die one way or the other, right? <laughs> um, it's not, it's not, um, we, we now ironically have developed this perfect death scenario and most people don't die a perfect death. No. <laughs> so no. To, to kind of loosen that up a little, little bit and say, well, the fact is everyone does do it, though. Everyone right. accomplishes it. <laughs> yeah, and, and everybody grieves differently. So, you know, some question that you might ask and some question that I may ask or memory shared, it's all going to look and feel different. It's all going to be just part of who we are and our own kindness and our own abilities to show up. And, and, and this is just one tool that may help you do that a little bit easier. A tool that's flexible enough that, that the, the lesson learned can be applied. I'm totally different each grief myself. You know, uh, one big one, yes, that's affected every subsequent loss. But losing my father was not the same as losing my mother or my friend or, you know, they're all individual experiences, but all of them benefit from memory. I was at a funeral the other day and somebody asked the sibling, how's your mom doing? And I thought, wait a minute, she just lost her brother. And we're asking her how her mom's doing. So, you know, you just, you just, just taking it all in, you know? Um, and there, and again, I think we're all trying to ask the right questions and not be awkward, but I would rather at least start a conversation around that. And I heard her say, my mom's doing okay and I'm doing okay too, but I'm glad that we're both here together to be able to support one another. And I'm grateful that you're here. You know, it was just a, that a, was a lot to come up with at that moment, wasn't it? Wasn't it, Sherry? Yeah. Again, well, we so but it it shows we can get through not knowing. Yes, we can. Yes. Thank you so much for being with me today. I've enjoyed our conversation. Thank you, Cheryl. To find Sherry Barch, you can go to heavensbell.com. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.